What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoop and for Forbes Sports. Well, the Bucks are almost all the way through their preseason schedule with just one more game remaining on Thursday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so far, it's been very good for the Bucks. You know, they're 4-0, not that record matters much, but it is nice to see them racking up those victories. And they beat the Dallas Mavericks and the Washington Wizards, both on the road since the last time we all spoke. There's not so much that I want to cover about the games, as it's hard to discern, you know, real takeaways, real information from these preseason games, especially since the Bucks really have not have not thrown out all of their starters in any of these games. Um, the only game that they really did so was when Eric Bledsoe got hurt last week. And so since then, Giannis has missed a game. Other players have missed games. And so there's really just not a whole lot that I want to talk about from the games today. You know, one of the big takeaways is that Giannis has just been a beast. He looks... In mid-season form, he looks unstoppable. You know, he's going to the hole. He's he's hitting a couple of threes. He's grabbing a whole bunch of rebounds. He's making these nice passes. And he just looks really good so far, which, you know, we should not be surprised. Number one, it's vanilla defenses. This is where Giannis thrives. You know, even after having a... What what you might call a poor performance in FIBA, the court opens up in the NBA, it's longer, the rules are more favorable to Giannis, and he just looks good. I, there's no reason to worry about him, if there ever was. I don't know if people were, but he's just looked great. Things have been going awesome for Giannis, and that's really been that's really been good to see because the Bucks they kind of have a somewhat difficult schedule to begin the year. You know, they're they open up play one week from Thursday against the Houston Rockets, which will be a tough matchup. But then, you know, the their next game is against the Miami Heat. That's a very winnable game. The Bucks should win that. But the Heat, they're no slouches. They the Bucks play the Celtics a few days later at the Celtics and Boston is good too. Um, and then they they play the Raptors a few days after that. And then the Clippers, the Jazz are on their schedule too in that first handful of games. So, you know, it's there are definitely winnable games in there, and the Bucks should take the majority of them. But they also, you know, have to be ready to go right out of the gate. Those are some good teams, teams that are going to be in the playoffs, and it'll be a good kind of barometer about where Milwaukee is at early on in the season. So it's good that Giannis has looked really good so far. Dragon Bender is another is another takeaway that I have. Uh, he has been playing pretty well. You know, he looks to fit right in this Mike Budenholzer five out system. He can hit his threes. He understands his role. He doesn't usually try to do too much. Just keeps the ball moving. If the shot's there, if it's open, he'll take it. He plays okay defense. He gets hurt a little bit on the boards, especially when Milwaukee plays him at center. But most mostly, you know, he should make the team use. He was the one guy that was kind of unsure you know his contract is is un, is non-guaranteed it's got a lot of trigger dates but unless somebody major gets cut from another team I would expect 
but I would expect Bender to make this roster. He's been a good addition. He'll be a good backup big man. You know, he'll be inactive most nights unless there's an injury, but you know, he's, he's still young. He still has some potential to develop. And so it could be a nice little project for Budenholzer and his coaching staff. It looks like a good pickup so far, you know, Milwaukee's deep in that front court, but unless something drastic changes with the players that become available, if, if a veteran gets cut or becomes available suddenly, then Ben would be the one to go but other than that he will probably make this team some quick injury notes uh, Mike Boonholzer said on Wednesday that Eric Bledsoe is making some nice steps forward in his recovery he had that you know rib side oblique thing we're not exactly sure uh, differing reports have come out about whether it was like a slightly cracked rib or just like the cartilage in between the ribs we're not sure um, exactly if I mean if we're listening to Horace it sounds like that it's if we're listening to John Horace it sounds like it's probably that cartilage in in the ribs or whatever um, but he's making some nice steps in his recovery Boonholzer said he did some non-contact drills at practice on Wednesday which is good to see you know we're still a week away so maybe he could play we'll see what that looks like you know participating in non-contact drills non-contact drills at this point is a good sign uh it'll be interesting to see how Milwaukee defends Houston Rockets and James Harden with or without Bledsoe. I won't touch on that too much today. I really want to go through that next week. Uh, next Thursday when the podcast comes up, talks about the potential defensive alignment against Harden. Uh, and we'll, we, we'll know more then about Bledsoe's status. So, But there, that's a good sign. Another good sign is DJ Wilson, who's missed his second consecutive preseason and kind of training camp with a hamstring injury, was a full participant full participant in practice on Wednesday. I wouldn't be surprised to see him play in this preseason finale on Thursday against the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, Wilson really needs this this time. It, it really hurts him to have missed out on a second consecutive preseason. And Ursan, he, Ursan Ilyasova has been playing out of his mind. You know, he's been playing very well. He's picked up right where he left off in FIBA. And Wilson really needs this time on the court. This hamstring injury has really hurt him because of the combination of Ursan's play and Wilson's injury. You know, DJ's really going to be on the outside looking in of the rotation once again to start the season. And it'll be hard to crack that rotation. We know that Budenholzer likes Ursan. He showed that last year. He stuck with Ursan last year. And especially if, if if Urs is playing well this time around, there won't be any reason to go away from him. And so DJ might be on the outside looking in unless Urs or another big man gets hurt or if they start to play badly. Um, and I think Budenholzer might even try to play the Lopez brothers together a little bit, which takes away even more minutes from that power forward position than we had originally thought. And so it'll be interesting. It's I know there's a lot of DJ Wilson stands out there and he's an exciting young player, but you know, sometimes availability is the best ability. And this preseason, you know, entering his third NBA season is is critical one. And especially as he's trying to beat out other healthy veterans who were ahead of him on the depth chart last year. But we'll see how this goes for Wilson. It'll be, I hope he can get on the court just to at least get some action, you know, start to get back into shape a little bit more. But we'll see how this goes on Thursday night. One of the two activities or topics that I wanted to touch on today was ranking the top five players in the Central Division. I had tweeted out at Bucks Film Room that Giannis is obviously the 
top player in the division. You know, he won the MVP last year. He's the top player, you know, in the NBA by most accounts. And the Central Division is kind of weak on that top talent. You know, they're kind of weak overall. You know, you got a team like the Cavaliers who don't really bring much to the table as of this point. They're in their their rebuilding stage. The Pistons are a fringe playoff team. The Bulls are maybe a fringe playoff team. We'll see. And then the Pacers are, will be fighting for potentially a top four seed in the East. So really teams kind of on all ends of the spectrum from the Bucks being a championship contender to the Pacers being a solid playoff team to the Pistons being a likely playoff team, to the Bulls being a maybe a playoff team, to the Cavs being a tanking, slumping, rebuilding team. So Giannis, I got him very solidly top player in the Central Division. I don't think there's much we need to talk about there. The second best player that I have in the Central Division, Blake Griffin. I think at this point in his career, you know, he's really become underrated. He's really a very good playmaker. He was just this guy who could just throw down master alley-oops, monster alley-oops, who could just go in traffic and dunk on everyone. But he's really developed his game. You know, he's a much more a much better all-around player at this point in his career. He's a very good playmaker for his team. You know, part of it is because the Pistons lack other playmakers, but the other part is just Blake Griffin is very good with the ball in his hands, and he always has been good with the ball in his hands. You know, he always ranks as one of the best, if not the complete best, uh, passing big man. You know, his assist percentage is very, very high, um, and so he's just a very good shot creator for the Pistons. Um, um, he can he can score from all three levels. He can still score around the hoop. He can score from the mid range. He can score uh, from behind the arc. And so you know he's really just clearly in my mind the second best player in the Central Division and one of the more underrated players in the league at this point in his stage or in his career. The third best player that I have, and these next two guys, the third and the fourth guys, are battling injuries, uh, but Victor Oladipo is my third best player in the Central Division. Ever since he had his breakout campaign a couple of years ago, he's really been, you know, has struggled with a couple of a couple of different injuries, which is tough to take, but overall, he's still very dynamic with the ball in his hands he's a good playmaker for his team he's still you know he'll be he's just 27 years old and so he's still a very very good player and it'll be interesting to see you know what that timetable looks like for his return this year from injury and how long the Pacers can kind of can kind of keep their boat above water and keep, you know, keep from sinking. So we'll see what that looks like. But but Oladipo overall, he's a very good player and he deserves this, th- this third spot. The fourth spot is a little bit more controversial and I could be swayed either way, to be honest with you. Um, I have Kevin Love in this spot right here. And even though Love has been injured a lot lately, I still think that, you know, he has the the track record and the history of, of being a very, very good player. And he's a very good rebounder. He's really expanded his game to the three-point line. Defensively, he's a slouch, but you know, it's really having that stretch four can be very valuable in today's league. And when he's healthy, I think that he is the fourth best player in the division. And like I said, I, I can be swayed either way. 
uh, I have Chris Middleton as the fifth best player. And so I could be swayed because I think Middleton has a very compelling case. You know, Middleton plays one of the most premier or plays the most premier position in the NBA at that wing. And so he can really defend both elite wings elite offensive wings and do a, a pretty good job on them and he can carry the scare, the scoring load on the other end you know he can do both of those at the same time that's something that Kevin Love cannot do and so I could be swayed to have Middleton in that four spot right now I have him in the fifth spot uh, Love is just shown to have a little bit more dynamic of a outside shooting game and as far as a scoring game all around but Middleton he's a he's a playmaker his playmaking chops are underrated he is a very good defender Defender, like I had said, he can score from all three levels, you know, tough shot express. He loves that mid-range. He can post a little guy up or even a guy his height. He can post him up. He's just got a smooth all-around game. His pull-up three game is really, really coming along. And so he, he, he rounds out my top five. So I got Giannis at one, Blake Griffin at two, Victor Oladipo at three, Kevin Love at four, and Chris Middleton at at five. And then I just have a couple of guys as honorable mention. Zach Levine and Andre Drummond are right there in my honorable mention. Both players are good, but both players have flaws. Levine, we could see him take the next step. He's still a young player at this point in Drummond's career. We probably already know what kind of player he's going to be. There aren't going to be any drastic changes. I mean, I, I don't know if he's trying to add a three-point shot to his game or what. He he took one in one of the first preseason games, started backpedaling like he was going to make it, and it hit off the other side of the backboard. So, yeah. Lastly, I wanted to talk about uh, this article that I wrote for Forbes Sports. You guys should should check it out. It's called Milwaukee Bucks Need More Shot Creation. And surprise, surprise, it's about the Bucks needing more shot creation. Uh, this was not an issue for most of the season last year. You know, they were they had the fourth highest efficiency offensive efficiency in the NBA. Boonholzer brought that five out offensive system to the Bucks and it was it was successful by all accounts. You know, it provided that extra space that Giannis needed. It gave his players a lot of freedom in the offense to do what they wanted to do as far as you run the basic concepts and then you just read the defense off of there and then you go. However, Milwaukee needs more shot creation from the players on their roster. Given how Budenholzer's offense is set up, it, it's really dependent on players being able to get good looks for themselves and for others. You know, he does run some very good um, ATOs after timeout sets, and he he puts his players in the best position to succeed. However, when it gets late in games or when games get tight, he also needs players to be able to create looks on their own. And losing Malcolm Brogdon, who is far from an is far from a perfect player, losing Brogdon was still a huge loss for the Bucks. Brogdon was fourth in drives per game last year on the team. He averaged 7.8 drives per game, and he was also fourth in assist percentage at 15.6%. Um, so he was behind Giannis, he was behind Eric Bledsoe, and he was behind Chris Middleton. So each of those three players averaged more drives per game and a higher assist percentage, but then Malcolm Brogdon was solidly in fourth. And 
the next player was a huge drop-off on the Bucs. So there's just a huge drop-off from drives and assist rate from Brogdon to the next player, who was George Hill. So George Hill averaged 2.8 drives per game, and he had a 14.3 assist rate. So that really just is a big drop-off, you know, a lot of the teams have elite shot creators at the top of their lineup. Like, if we're going to look at the Clippers, you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are two of the best shot creators in the game. The Bucks, you know, Giannis sometimes struggles in that half-court shot creation. He got bogged down in the playoffs last year. Chris Middleton, he's, he's good, but he's not Paul George or Kawhi Leonard level. The Lakers, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both who can create their own looks. Middleton isn't necessarily in that tier. And so Milwaukee, in order to to offset this two-star trend that the NBA has suddenly gone to, they really depend on a deep roster. You know, it's Giannis and kind of everyone else. So last year they had Giannis and then Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe and Brogdon. They would all kind of take turns as that second fiddle. But now this year it's only Giannis and Lopez and Middleton and Bledsoe. And so they you took one option away from the Bucks, And we all know how... Bledsoe performs in the postseason because let's be real this stuff is not going to matter much in the regular season for the Bucks. the Bucks are talented enough they're deep enough they are going to get through this regular season just fine sure there might be some bumps and there might be some bruises but overall Milwaukee should cruise to a top two seed um, unless something really unforeseen happens but really what we're getting down to is the postseason and Brogdon was very good in the postseason last year when he returned. He was very good against the Raptors. Bledsoe was awful. He was he was terrible. Middleton, he wasn't so good. He was below average. And so all of a sudden, if guys are struggling in the postseason, that's taking away these options. And all of a sudden, when Milwaukee had five options last year, when they had five options in Giannis, in Bledsoe, in Middleton, in Brogdon, and Lopez. Now this year, you take Brogdon away. He's not on the team anymore. And then if Bledsoe struggles in the playoffs, you take him away. That's three people that you can count on um, at best. And Brooke Lopez isn't the best shot creator either. He's a guy who can definitely take advantage of that, but he's not necessarily in that shot creation category. And so maybe then we're down to two, Giannis and Middleton. And can they realistically carry the load? If they're going up the light against the likes of the Philadelphia 76 defense in the Eastern Conference Finals, or if they're going against the Los Angeles Clippers defense in the NBA Finals, is that enough scoring? Is that enough shot creation? I don't know. I don't think so. I think Milwaukee needs somebody either internally or one of these external candidates that they brought in, one of these free agent signings that they brought in, or maybe there's a guy out there that they have yet to trade for, that maybe there are some trade options. I don't know, but I think that they need somebody else to step up. The most obvious guys, barring a trade, because that's just getting, I don't like to speculate too much on the trade talk, who knows what's going to happen, but the most obvious guys on the roster today Four of them as I see it. We got Wesley Matthews. We got Pat Connaughton. 
we got Sterling Brown, and we got Dante DiVincenzo. Those are the four guys that I see should step up and could step up and potentially be shot creators. They're all flawed players for sure, but in the right situation, I think they could create or could bring a little bit of that creation and and give get their teammates open or score when they're needed. So those four players are kind of the four that I have tagged as keeping my eye on, and I don't think all four are going to be able to play regularly throughout this season. You know, that shooting guard position, that two guard position is is deep and all four guys are probably best at that two guard. Maybe Brown could slide up to the three. Maybe Matthews could slide up to the three. Maybe DiVincenzo could slide down to the one. But mostly I think that two guard position is their best. So let's just talk about their drives and their shot creation for a second, just so we can get an understanding of where they're at. And so just a reminder of what we're trying to replace, Malcolm Brogdon averaged 7.8 drives and a 15.6% assist percentage. Wes Matthews led this foursome that we're looking at at 3.7 drives per game. The next highest was Sterling Brown at 2.7, then Pat Connaughton at 2.4, then Dante DiVincenzo all the way at 1.1. Now we'll get into a little bit more on each of them here in a second. But so that's their drive. So Wesley Matthews is is less than half of average less than half of the drives that Brogdon did last year. As far as assist rate goes, Connaughton was at 12.4. Wes Matthews was at 10.8, and that's with the Pacers. I took that number from the Pacers. Sterling Brown is at 10.5, and DiVincenzo is at 9.7, and those are according to cleaning the glass. So all those are lower than Brogdon's 15.6. So that really, you know, puts the Bucks in a tough position. And to be fair, drives and assist rate is not the whole picture when it comes to shot creation. It just gives us something tangible to work off of. You know, this is not Buck's analytics podcast. It's Buck's film room podcast, but I can't show you film on here. So I'm just trying to give us numbers to work off of just some common knowledge to be able to drive the conversation. And so drives and assist rate is an imperfect way. And so just another way to look at this situation is a metric called box creation. Many of you may not have heard about this, and this gets a little heavy into the analytics stuff, but I'm just going to try to keep it simple. Uh, Box creation was created by Ben Taylor, who is the author of Thinking Basketball. He has podcasts out there. He has a YouTube channel. Really, really good stuff. You know, he's very, he combines analytics and film together and really meshes them very well. And that's how they're meant to be used. You're not just supposed to be based on film or just be based on analytics. You're supposed to mesh them together. And he does a very nice job. And he created this metric called box creation to give us a fuller picture of who is creating shots, not only for themselves, but for their teammates. And it doesn't only have to be buckets that go in, you know, just shots that are created overall. So he defines box creation as an estimate of the number of shots a player created for his teammates per 100 possessions. So a shot is created when a player forces a defense to react to his scoring threat, and then that reaction leads to one, an open attempt for a teammate, so it doesn't have to go in, just an open attempt, or an open layup attempt that is fouled from behind, or an open putback. So those are kind of the things. So the number of shots a player creates per 100 possessions. Uh, that's the key right there. And so Giannis, of course, led the Bucks in this metric last year. He created 9.6 shots 
for his teammates per 100 possessions. And just to give you uh, a definition point, so that was ranked, that ranked 19th in the NBA. So 9.6 shots per 100 possessions for his teammates ranked 19th in the NBA. Just like with the drives and assists, Bledsoe at 7.4 shots per 100 possession, Middleton at 6.5, and Brogdon at 5.1 were the next three on Milwaukee's roster. Unfortunately, just like drives and assist rate, it plummeted after that. Matthews, who obviously was not on the team last year, but he would be second at 2.5. Connaughton at 2, Brown at 2, and DiVincenzo at 1.4. So even using that metric, you know, it does not look does not look very good for the Bucks. They really need that that other player to step up and to provide some extra shots. And so Let's just start talking about these four players without using all these stats. Let's talk about what they bring to the table, what they don't bring to the table. You know, the pros and cons. Every player has pros and cons. It's not a knock against Matthews or Connaughton or Brown or DiVincenzo. But let's just look at the strengths and weaknesses real quick when it comes to shot creation. So starting with Wes Matthews, because I think, you know, it's it's pretty obvious at this point he's going to be the starting shooting guard. He's a very savvy and crafty veteran. You know, he understands how the game is played. He's been around for a long time. He can use some of that craftiness to get to the hoop or to beat his man off the dribble or to find an open shooter. However, age and injury have really piled on and he lacks the explosiveness he once did in his career. So this sometimes gets him in trouble. You know, he sometimes thinks he can do things that he used to be able to do and then he is forced to pick up his dribble too early or leave his feet, and that leads to turnovers. Um, he's not, he hasn't been generally a very high turnover guy in his career, but I think just in that shot creation, um, with that shot creation lens, that can be you know, a real con, and that can really lead to poor decisions sometimes for Wes Matthews. And so I really see him as more of a catch-and-shoot type guy. He can get his shot off in tight spaces. He can stretch the floor to the three-point line. So I really see that as what his role will be with Milwaukee. Sterling Brown is the next guy I want to cover. You know, Milwaukee really, I think, had high hopes for him this summer. They sent him to Summer League, even though he's in his third year, with the hopes that he will work on being that lead ball handler and work on creating for his teammates there. Uh, It didn't work out that way. He had a very up-and-down Summer League, did not play very well, but he was being thrust into a brand-new role, and so we'll see how this works out. You know, he has the strength to... If he gets a step on a guy, he has a strength to maintain that step and keep the guy behind him. He lacks the explosiveness. He lacks that great first step or quickness to be able to consistently beat his man off the dribble. And this creates him from, this prevents him from creating separation. And it, when he can't create separation, help, you aren't going to draw those help defenders. And then your teammates aren't going to, aren't going to come over to help because that man has him locked down. And so that really will be a struggle for Brown. But if he can get a step, he can use his strength advantage. He just can't consistently get steps on guys. Now, Connaughton, he's a different a different animal. He definitely does not lack explosiveness. He's one of the most explosive players in the NBA. However, his explosiveness is, is mostly vertical leaping, and he's really a great slasher off the ball. That's where he does best is when he can cut off the ball. If his guy isn't paying attention, he can slash to the hole, or he can find an open spot on the three-point line. That's really what he's best at is that off-ball slashing, which is fine. That's not a knock on his game. He understands that. He doesn't have the tight handles or the quick first step like 
you know, the sh- most of these great players uh, who can get their own looks off. But he's really used best off the ball, and he knows that. He does a great job at cutting. I've made videos, written articles, tweeted about it. He's great off the ball. He's a great slasher. It doesn't seem too hopeful up to this point. All those three guys, their roles are best suited elsewhere. But I think Dante DiVincenzo could be the X factor. I think he has the biggest potential of this group to become a shot creator for his teammates. And I think Boonholzer and his staff are counting on that. It was a very limited sample size in DiVincenzo's first year. He only played in a handful of games. He suffered you know, a heel injury that he battled throughout most of the year. And it was kind of a disappointing campaign um, for his first year. But overall, I think he has the potential to be able to step into this role. He will not be Brogdon level good, but he could be better than these other guys at creating shots. We've seen in the preseason, this is one of the things in the preseason that, you know, we see. I've seen him split defenders on pick and rolls. He can get to the hoop. He still has to work on his... On his finishing, he's supposed to work on finding teammates teammates accurately and on time, but he's shown really nice potential in this area. It's been very fun to watch for him. He is he's he has that that those tight handles. They're getting better. He has more athleticism with the ball in his hands, more quickness, more ability to slash into the hole with the ball. And so I think he really has the biggest potential of any of these four guys or any of the guys on the roster to fill that shot creation role or that void that Brogdon left. And if Bledsoe misses some time, I think they will start George Hill. And I think they'll slide DiVincenzo in as that backup point guard to see how he does. You know, early in this this season, it's no better time to try these young guys at different positions to see what you have. And if he can stay healthy, I think you know, he'll get his opportunities. I think when Bledsoe returns, most of his time will come at the two, or maybe he'll split in the backcourt alongside Bledsoe or Hill or Middleton, so he doesn't have to be that primary ball handler all the time. But I think early on, if Bledsoe misses time or when Hill rests, he'll be the guy that they slide in to really see how that all looks and how that all goes. So he's the guy that I have the most hope to, or most hope for. Overall, you know, Boonholzer, like I said, he really gives his players lots of freedoms. However, they need the they need to possess the skills to maximize the offense and take advantage of that freedom. We saw them get bogged down against the Raptors, and that type of defense is looming again. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're long, they're huge. They have some very good defensive players. Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson. Those are all very good defensive players with lots of length and you better believe it if if, when the Bucks meet them in the playoffs or in the Eastern Conference Finals they're going to employ that same type of defensive strategy that the Raptors did so the Bucks are going to have to figure out how to overcome that if they if they beat the Raptors the Clippers could be looming you know Paul George and Kawhi Leonard two of the best defenders in the NBA oh then you got Patrick Beverly another elite defender Milwaukee's going to have to figure this out. They're going to have to figure out what they have in some of these young guys. They're going to need to figure out how to overcome their deficits or their weaknesses that they had last year. The good news is they have 82 games and then some to figure this out. So Boonholzer, you know, their, their mind will be on the postseason. It'll be on that NBA championship. There may be times this regular season when we're like, what are you guys doing? What is going on? But they 
will be searching for these answers. It's NBA finals or bust, NBA title or bust. They're going to be searching for these answers all throughout the season. So stick along. It'll be a fun ride. And thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Bucks Film Room Podcast. Make sure to follow me on on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>